0: Hello, friends. It's good to be back inside your ear canal once again. Now, I've been logging brand new calls and tending to some back-of-the-shop chores, getting things ready to roll out Lucky Number Season 13. So, set those calendars. March 10th, I'll be back with a menagerie of spooky content just for you. But until then with the world outside on fire. I thought it would be nice to release a little distraction. So, the following Monsters Among Us Beyond episode, which originally aired on Patreon in mid-September of 2020, is now officially unlocked. And remember, if you like what you hear, you can pick up 50 more bonus episodes for a simple $4 a month. Just visit patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. Now, I present to you Monsters Among Us Beyond, number 37.
1: Six years old and I was at my friend's house and as me and my mom were like leaving in our car there was a big shadow and a little shadow it was kind of a human shape it looked like a little girl and her mom anyway you do a great job on the podcast and bye
0: Thank you, Arbor, and thanks for calling in. It certainly sounds like you and your mother might have had a Shadow Man encounter. It's creepy stuff. But I have to say, it's very brave of you to share your story with us tonight. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Monsters Among Us Beyond, number 37. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to another installment of of beyond I have an awesome program slated for this evening a slate jam-packed with chilling tales like the following submitted by Josh in Alabama
2: hey Derek my name is Jonathan I'm from Asheville Alabama i got a few stories for you about uh, my family's house my whole family's been there for probably 30 years now and in those 30 years, things have been going on, I mean, up, up until today. My uncles, they all lived there at one time, and they even told me stories about seeing this man outside the window at night. It wasn't an or, no ordinary man. He, they said he a like a trench coat on, a cowboy hat. He said he, he said he was looking straight down. And he said, you know, he wasn't doing anything. He was just standing there. But uh, the only weird thing that was about him standing in that window was the window is 10 to 15 foot off the ground. So there was no possible way anybody could just be standing there outside the window. In the same house, we have all actually got somebody sitting in the bed with us at night. Strange as that sounds, you know, you just laying there in the bed and you just feel somebody it's like somebody just sits down the bed, you just feel the bed move. We all we all say it's a we all say it's a woman and you're just laying down in the bed with you. You know, just joking around with it. We have had uh, we've had people call our names out and nobody be there. One instance, I actually had a little kid to call my name out by my nickname, which nobody else knew. I mean, it scared me to death. My mom was actually there with me, and she said, did you hear that? I said, yeah, yeah, I just just heard that. Went outside to check it, and there was nobody there. Gives me chill bumps now, thinking about it. Uh, Same house. We've also had uh, a baby. One of my cousins was in in the bedroom, asleep, and he he said he was a baby. A baby monitor's in there, and we've heard a woman come over the baby monitor, saying, be quiet, you'll wake the baby. Well, that, that's all I've got. I enjoy your podcast. I keep up doing the great work. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Josh. Now it sounds like this place is fairly active, but I'm curious if you've done any research on the property or possibly even the home. And I think you all knew I was going to suggest that. And I'll tell you what. The mention of the baby monitor particularly since shivers. Now We've covered several videos on paranormal caught on camera from parents with video monitors in their nurseries. Let me tell you, those things are extra creepy. Even the ones that appear quote-unquote explainable seem to put me on edge. Now, I know video doesn't transfer well to podcasting, but I thought this news segment from Detroit's WXYZ ABC News 7 translates to audio fairly well. Put yourself in these young parents' shoes.
1: A family in Highland, Michigan, believes their house is actually haunted and thinks something is harming their little girl. 7 Action News reporter Alan Campbell went to the home to see for himself.
3: It happened here in this room as 15-month-old Lily was inside her bed. Caught on camera, something walks in front of her crib, catching Lily's attention. Whatever it is, the family says it needs to go.
1: It's almost like she sees something that we don't.
3: It's an image Heather and Josh say is haunting their home. It was uh, chilling. It was literally a chill down your spine, like, like that what-if factor. Like, is this what I just saw? Caught on the couple's nanny cam video a few weeks ago, what appears to be something moving in front of the baby crib.
1: I freaked out. I stopped what I was doing and I ran upstairs and I grabbed my daughter. Heather says this
3: so-called ghost scratched her daughter Lily and attacked her too.
1: It scares us that it could do something else. I mean, there was even a morning that I woke up and I had felt like something was around my, like someone's hands were around my neck.
3: The couple says they don't know why this so-called ghost is targeting them, but say they don't want any part of it.
1: It's not physically just going after her. It feels like it's going after myself, too.
3: I couldn't get an explanation out of it, you know, so it's, it's freaky (laughs) is what it is. For now, Heather and Josh say they will stay inside this place with Lily until they're able to save up enough money and move out. Reporting in Highland Township, I'm Alan Campbell, 7 Action News.
0: Now even if the video is explainable, I can imagine that it would do little to diminish the young parents' fears. So thanks again, Josh, for taking the time to share your entry. Now our next entry is this episode's rebuttal. Now This time around, I guess I need to call it a suggestion. Or probably rename this segment altogether. But either way, please welcome Jill from Delaware to the program.
1: Hi Derek, this is Jill from Delaware again. I just listened, I'm way behind. I just listened to Season 5, Episode 13, and I had a thought about the melanistic cats. I've heard that jaguars are expanding their range northward, and you mentioned in this episode that cougars, or the North American cat, is typically not thought to be melanistic. Jaguars, however, are, or can be, and I'm wondering if these melanistic cats could be not a mountain lion, cougar, uh, whatever you would like to call it, that people think they might be seeing because it's historically been in the area in which they're sighting it, but perhaps it's a jaguar or some kind of odd cross, as you mentioned before, like a coy dog or what have you. Just my two cents, thought I'd uh, let you know, love the podcast, love it, love it, love it. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Jill. I believe I ended up discussing that very theory on a more recent episode. The idea of melanistic jaguars moving north to fill a void left by the now extinct eastern cougar. I guess great minds think alike. But having had more time to think about this hypothesis, I'm now of the opinion that we should be seeing more evidence, such as scat tracks or trail camera photos. Until those pieces of evidence begin to trickle in, I'll continue to consider all the options. And since we're talking ABCs, let's head over to my home state of Ohio, where Alex saw something that she just can't explain.
4: Hi Derek, my name is Alex, uh, I'm uh, from Springfield, Ohio, and I'm calling because this is like the first <sighs> Sorry, it just, it literally just happened. You're the first person I thought to call. Uh, I just actually called in a couple weeks ago, but I think I have an ABC story for you. So I'm actually from Lockington, but I have family that lives in Springfield, and I regularly go hunt over in Springfield, and, you know, Springfield, Ohio with a city. They live just outside of town there, um, out in the country, and there's probably 30 acres out here. We don't have big cats in Ohio, at least not that we know, not that they're claiming. And so, I'm sitting up in the tree stand, Um, usually I leave at like 10.30, 11 o'clock if I don't see anything, and uh, I happened, I just, I fell asleep, and it's a little windy out right now, and I, you know, I didn't, wasn't going to come out here anyways, but I just decided something's going to do it. So, I'm sitting up there, and, you know, I I wake back up, it's it's 12.43 right now, so this was just like maybe 20 minutes ago, and so I kind of sit back up and look around, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I notice it's it's really, really, really windy. And so I decided that I was going to get down and go home. And I start to climb down my ladder. And at this point, you know, I'm fully aware. I'm awake. And I turn around. I turn my head kind of backwards just to see one last time if I can can see anything, if I can just sit out there a little bit longer. Because I don't really get a lot of chances to go out right now because I work so much and then I turn my head back there's a there's a fence line with a field fence back on the edge of the property back where i'm hunting at it's kind of like um there's like some trails like for the ranger the off-road vehicle and then there's like little foot trails off of those and this is the one the one that i'm on and it's way back in the back of our property so on the other side of this fence line there is cornfield and it's all down right now so i can clearly see everything behind it it's bright, you know. I mean, it's maybe 100 yards for me. It's not very far at all. Not even that. I would. It's probably 70 yards. So I look back, and I see this animal. And it's, I can only see the silhouette. I can't see. I can't make out colors, really, or unless it was black. I don't know. But it was like a silhouette. And it's standing, and its back came above the field fence. And I know this field fence comes up to my waist because I've walked over it 100 times. And you really have to work to get over top of it if you're going to climb it. So the steel fence comes up to my waist, and this thing's back was at the top of this field fence. And you know how a cat walks? You know how you can see its—yeah, you can see its its arm. I don't know the words right now. I'm so sorry. It's back when it's when, when it moves its when it moves its legs, how its back moves, how you can see it, how you can see the shoulders of it moving, and it's so distinct that that's how a cat walks it's not a dog, a dog's not walk like that, it's a cat, and that's how it was walking. I could see the shoulders moving up and down, and I just got i mean I got straight chills, so i I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to climb back up and and watch because. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just kind of froze like deer in a headlight, and I scurried down as fast as I could, and I just ran. I just, I ran out of these woods as fast as I could, and it's. I mean, it's probably a mile to the house, that I was just running. I had my bow in my hand, and you know my big boots on, and I'm just, I'm sprinting because I was getting the heck out of there. But I, it, it had to have been a cat. There's no way it was anything else. Um, just the way it moved, it was definitely a, a big cat. And like I said, its back had to have been up to my waist and I'm five foot nine so yeah do it that as you will I thought you're the only person the only people you know all amongst us that's gonna believe me so I thought I'd let you know I'm gonna go home and try to cool down so have a nice day thanks for listening bye
0: thank you for thinking of us first Alex now it seems like you had your encounter on the opposite side of the state from where I had mine But it's not a huge state so it's only a couple hundred miles but i will tell you it's odd that a majority of our abc calls seem to come from the same cluster of states we just don't seem to get many submissions from outside of places like the midwest western new england and the bible belt i'm not sure what that information means necessarily but it's certainly worth noting and before we move on alex When it comes to big cats, don't run. You'll trigger their predatory instinct. Then you'll be in serious trouble. Instead, make yourself as big as possible. Be loud and back away from them. Keep eye contact. But remembering that advice in a moment like that, well, I know it's easier said than done. So thank you again, Alex, for the entry. And stay safe out there. For tonight's next entry, we only have to venture one state over. This is Neil's entry from the state of Pennsylvania.
5: Hey Derek, uh, this is Neil from Pittsburgh. So this happened back around 1993, maybe 1995. My brother and I were wondering where our mom was one night, and we thought maybe she was up at our high school taking a walk around the track. So we walked out of the house and happened to see her across the street speaking to our priest. We lived across the street from our church. So there's me, my mom, my brother, and the priest. were in the parking lot talking. It's getting dark out and I happen to see these lights coming towards us. Now at first I thought it was two planes flying parallel with one below the other, like a significant distance. Uh, In the front was a red triangle of lights so it was like One dot of red light in the front, two red dots behind it, and then a little bit behind that was a larger white triangle of lights. So it was three red lights in the front, three red lights in the back, both as triangles flying with the point forward. So I'm watching this trying to figure out what it is, and right about that time the priest says it's time for him to go. So I look down, shake his hand, you know, take my eyes off this thing. I looked back up. It couldn't have been more than 10 seconds. Now the red triangle of lights had changed. So there were two red lights in the front with one red light in the back. And the white triangle had changed to two white lights now instead of three. So what we had was two red lights in the front, one red light behind and in the middle of those two, and then two white lights also in the middle behind that triangle. The thing is though, we live pretty close, about 15, 20 miles. From I don't know, not even that much actually, now I'm thinking about it uh, to the Pittsburgh International Airport and a Air Force refueling wing. I believe it's called the 511th. So I see planes all the time, and I had never seen a plane move with this pattern of lights because you know they usually have red lights and white red lights and green lights, maybe a white light on the front. But I've never seen a triangle of red lights with a triangle of white lights. The other thing is as I looked back up after saying goodbye to the, to the priest. I'd tell my mom and my brother, hey, look at these weird lights. And right about then, it was right above us. My brother thinks he saw something that, like a shadow around it, like a cigar shape or a lozenge shape. Cause that was one of the other things I thought it could have been was a blimp. Cause the, the Goodyear blimp has flown over a couple of times, like during a football game, that kind of stuff. But the weird thing is the blimp, when it flies over, you can hear it, it makes a lot of noise this thing was completely silent as it flew over. The three of us basically just kept watching it until it just flying off and disappearing over the horizon. Like I said, this was in like 1993, 1995. I've watched the sky ever since then. I know how that sounds kind of weird, but you know, I'll watch it, I'll see a plane flying over. I'm like, is that what that is? And I've never seen a plane take that same light pattern that this was. The only thing I could have thought it would have been was maybe a plane being refueled. That was actually my first thought was maybe as a plane being refueled, but the refueling plane is usually in the front with the plane being fueled in the back. And if that plane at the front was a uh, KC-1, I can't remember what that's called, KC something other than the refueling plane, the thing in the back would have been humongous, like maybe a, a C-5 Galaxy kind of a thing. I've seen pictures of lights like this before. They call them, like, the Eiffel Tower lights because it kind of forms that same kind of a shape. But i looked online I can't find that picture again since then. So, I don't know. Hope you're doing okay in the uh, quarantine and love the show. Talk to you later. Bye.
0: Thanks, Neil. Whenever someone mentions UFOs in or around the Pittsburgh area, I instantly think of a little-known UFO crash in a ravine just outside the tiny hamlet of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania.
6: Twilight, December 9th, 1965. A brilliant light streaked through the skies over Canada and the northeastern United States. Thousands of eyewitnesses reported seeing its trail, which was visible for hundreds of miles in every direction. Near the village of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, 40 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, Rob Landy and his brother Ray were out riding their bicycles
3: we were riding up the road and we just happened to look up into the sky and we saw this thing coming over the tops of the trees. It just glided right across the sky like across the horizon of the trees. We could see and then it disappeared behind the trees.
6: Nearby, Nevin and Nadine Kelp were playing outside when the object flew overhead and apparently crashed in a wooded ravine half a mile away
2: this ball like fire come through it's something I've, I've never seen before
6: Pennsylvania state troopers were on the scene within 15 minutes they were accompanied by two men in civilian clothes who never identified themselves by now there was no smoke and the fading light made it difficult to pin down the crash site located less than a mile from Kecksburg village the ravine runs east to west for 800 yards cutting across several farms the object appeared to crash here, more than a half mile from the Kelps home.
7: Here was this humongous metal object, half buried in the ground, about six, seven, eight foot around, and it was every bit of eight, 10, 12 foot long. And to me, the object looked exactly like a fresh acorn that you pick off of a tree. There was no wings, there was no motors, there was no propellers. There was no identification whatsoever that were identified as a aircraft that I would know.
6: Within three hours of the crash, military personnel had set up a command center in the Kecksburg Fire Station. They promptly restricted civilian movement in the area. An hour later, the military authorities also commandeered a farmhouse near the ravine. The village of Kecksburg, with a population of just 250, appeared to have been invaded first from the sky, then by the United States military.
7: We looked up, and here comes this jeep down over the hill with its red light on, and right behind the jeep was a large flatbed truck, and on the back of the flatbed was this
3: covered object. Whatever came down in Kecksburg that night is of high importance to the military agencies. The most mysterious thing about the whole case is the fact that after 25 years, The government still refuses to give us any actual information on what occurred.
0: Of course, that was Mr. Robert Stack from the original run of Unsolved Mysteries. Now, I've linked to this entire episode, and I suggest you watch this segment at the very least. Now, in addition, the guys over at Small Town Monsters cover Kecksburg in their film Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. So, Neil, you're not the first in that area to see something that... It just couldn't explain. But thank you for sharing your experience with us. Now next on the list, we venture to the state of Massachusetts, where Robert has something odd for us to ponder.
8: Yes, my name is Robert Agby. I live in Spencer, Massachusetts. I live on a cot road uh, where there's some woods. The area is commonly traveled by people with their dogs and so on and so forth. I was walking down the cart road, and I came to a couple of trees. I observed, which I thought was kind of weird, I observed a rock in the crotch of a tree to my left, and about maybe 25, 30 yards down on the right, I observed another rock in the crotch of a tree at the height of at least 15 feet up. These rocks were not there as in if they were a part of the tree or the tree was not growing around these rocks. I just thought it was kind of strange. I thought about it a couple days later and looking up things on Bigfoot and different crazy things that happen out there. I don't know if it's anything that you may find out of the ordinary, but I just thought maybe you should know about it. Again, I was walking down the cart road, and I observed these in two different areas. And when I seen the rock up in the tree, it really blew my mind, because I'm like, I'm six, two and a half. I'm 58 years old. I'm an outdoorsman. I was out walking around, looking for raptor birds and nests, and, uh, you know, just enjoying the weather. I live right next to the cart road. I lived in this area for about three years. I've been in the woods many times, and I just thought this was extremely odd, and I don't know if this has anything to do with behaviors of, you know, anything that you specialize in or that you may find out of the ordinary. But again, I've never seen a rock sitting up in a tree. All right, sir? And you have a great day. Take care and God bless.
0: We appreciate the time, Robert. Now, if these rocks didn't raise up with the tree's growth, we're only left with a few other options. The obvious suggestion would be humans. Either orchestrating a hoax or just messing around, or perhaps it's an art installment. Either way, it's very possible that a human could have achieved this feat. Now, let's say for the sake of argument, that we know for a fact that this wasn't a human that put this together. In that case, I can think of no known animal living in that region of the country that has the ability to move and place objects like that, especially at that height. So in this instance, I'd have to agree with Robert. Perhaps Bigfoot or some version would be the next obvious theory to test. And we'll touch more on strange mysteries from Massachusetts here in a little bit. Until then thank you robert for the strange little entry but before we explore that area and that final call we have one more entry to analyze for this one we head back to the pittsburgh area where our informant known only
9: as g is waiting hi this is g you can just call me g i am a nurse in pittsburgh and i went to school at the University of Pittsburgh, graduated a few years ago. And I was just listening to your ghostly or paranormal encounters at schools episode while doing yard work. And I was reminded of my own experiences at the University of Pittsburgh. So in my freshman and sophomore years, I lived in a dorm called Lothrop Hall. And it was well known among students to be haunted. In fact, the dorm building, before becoming a dorm building about 50 years ago, it was actually a state mental facility. Um, or asylum. Most of the bathrooms, the facilities, everything, all the rooms were left over and refurnished for students. So a very old building and a lot of history there. But anyway, so I didn't really know that it was haunted. And um, my sophomore year, first semester, this would have been November, late November of 2014. I was staying at school during um, Thanksgiving break because my parents were out of town. I decided to stay in and uh, just kind of enjoy some time off around campus when most pretty much everybody had left. So it just so happened to be there was nobody else on my floor um, during that break. I was told by my RA before he left for the weekend that um, I should expect to have some interesting experiences. I asked him what he meant and he said, well, this place is pretty haunted and you notice it when nobody's around. You know, I just kind of brushed it off. I was like, "Haha, okay, whatever. And uh, yeah, sure enough, just daily weirdness for those few days of break. Like I said, I was the only one on the floor and like I'd hear voices down the hallway and I'd open up my door, look around, look left, look right, and he'll be there. Close the door, you know, it'd happen again, et cetera. That happened probably at least a dozen times throughout those few days. Sometimes I'd come out of my room and I'd hear the shower was running down the hall and i'd go in there's nobody there turn them off go back to my room back at one point i was taking a shower and uh, a number of the other showers i noticed turned on while i was in there and i came out to find still uh, i was alone and i had to reach in and get wet again and turn after drying off and turn off each of the showers myself so just out of the ordinary kind of inexplicable things nothing too over the top or creepy but that was my experience a side note, it is home to one of the oldest university buildings in the U.S. And, in fact, the tallest academic building in the world, I believe. At least it was at the time that I was there. It's called the, Le- the Cathedral of Learning. And it's about 40 stories high. Very old building. If you go inside, it feels like you're inside of a castle. There's winding staircases where it doesn't make sense for there to be any. Each floor is different, kind of like a maze. And it's very Hogwartsy with giant Everything stone, like wooden benches, giant cathedral vault ceilings, and, you know, you get the idea. We were actually voted, be, because of that building, the school in the U.S. most likely to be Hogwarts, which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, really cool building. But sometimes my friends and I would go, like, urban exploring, and sometimes we'd go and we'd, we'd get into the cathedral at night, past the security guard, and we'd just explore the upper levels at night, which were mostly offices and the library. Frequently, like, being up you know, in those higher levels, like levels 20 and above, where it's all offices. You know, we'd be walking around and we'd hear, like, sound like people talking, you know, somewhere on the floor. And, uh, you know, we'd just look around, explore a little bit. Nobody around. And, um, that would happen a fair amount. But. Anyway, uh, that's just about it. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks, G. I talk about these sort of environments and their correlation to hauntings quite often. More specifically, busy, active places like churches, theaters, and especially schools. And the juxtaposition between said locations, active hours, and those long nights when things are said to get a little spooky. In other words, it's almost as if the building absorbs the energy of a packed house during the day and expels that energy in the form of odd happenings at night. I realize that observation poses more questions than answers. But unfortunately, that's the name of the game in the paranormal world. Thanks again, G, for sharing your entry. Haunted school stories are always fun to dig into. Tonight's episode is brought to you by NordVPN. If you think the monsters you find in the forest are frightening, wait until you meet the ones online. Like everyone, I spend a lot of time on the internet, and I take my virtual security and privacy very seriously. And that is why I use NordVPN. NordVPN provides the protection I need to browse the internet safely and anonymously, and protect my data from, well, pretty much everyone. It's super easy to use. I connect in one click, and I don't even notice it's there. In fact, it's been confirmed by speed test to be the fastest VPN on the market, and I can use it on up to six devices. I have it on both my studio computers, Sarah's computer, and our mobile devices for across the board protection. I can also use it to switch my virtual location and access streaming content from over 59 countries. That's endless binging. <laughs> So get cybersecurity and access to worldwide entertainment for just the price of a cup of coffee each month. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash M-A-U or use coupon code M-A-U to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus, one month free. Plus, they're throwing in an additional bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Once again, that's nordvpn.com forward slash M-A-U to grab your exclusive discount. One month free plus a bonus gift. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the chill-inducing entries. And just like that, yep, it's our final stop of the evening. And for this one, we venture back to the state of Massachusetts, in an entry that I can only describe as wild. Please welcome Rhonda back to the program.
10: Hey Derek, Sarah, Addie, everybody out there in the Monsters Among Us land. This is Rhonda Kitchen again, hi, and I was just listening to another podcast and it brought up a memory that I had from not too long ago, actually. While I was still living in Massachusetts, I was working as a merchandiser for a very popular local convenience store. It was our job to go, when it was considered for a new store, to go to the stores, put in the racks, the shelving, the cigarette racks, you know, the cooler racks, everything. We basically finished the build out. Well, this was in October of 2015, and I left my house in Western Massachusetts early enough. I was given the assignment with the rest of the team to go to Bennington, Vermont, which, yes, Derek, this does concern the Bennington Triangle. If any of you are not familiar, um, I'll give a quick backstory. I'm sure Derek can do a way better job than me, but basically... There's not any really kind of defined line, such as with the Bermuda Triangle, but it goes over where New York, Massachusetts, and Vermont all kind of meet. And there is the most adorable little town, which all the towns in Vermont are adorable, called Bennington. They are known for a big battle. I want to say that it was a revolutionary. Could have been Civil War, but I'm thinking it's revolutionary. And so there's a big Bennington you know, monument and everything, and the Glastonbury Mountains are there. They're part of the Green Mountains, and they also, I want to say, have something to do with the Appalachian Mountains. At any rate, like I said, I left my house. It's about an hour and a half, two hour drive, depending on traffic and all of that. But we had to leave really, really early to be at the store by 9 o'clock that we were going to. And so I left early enough that because I was the newest member of the merchandising team, I wanted to get up there and I wanted to get set up and get everything ready to have a jump on the day, impress the boss, that kind of thing. So I left, got gas, got coffee, still plenty of time, got on the pike, went up. And what should have taken me, as I said, an hour and a half, two hours literally took me, I should have been there about 8, 8.15. I didn't get there until well after 9.30, almost 10 o'clock. I don't know where the time went. I, I try to play it over and over in my mind. And even on that day and in the days, subsequent to that I tried to play it over and over again in my mind you know what could have happened where did that time go I was just driving along with other motorists on the highway not like it was a big deal um, listening to music and I didn't really think anything of it didn't check my watch I very rarely wear a watch didn't check anything didn't check the time I was just driving because I knew that my GPS was taking me there But again, as I said, I ended up being there almost two hours past the time that I should have been, that I had set out to be there in. And of course my boss who, and he said, you know, like, where have you been? You know, what's going on? And I've tried calling you. There was no answer. My phone never rang by the way, the entire time I was driving. And there's a lot of little back roads and, you know, like all in New England, like anywhere, there's all these really cute little back roads. You see deer, that kind of thing. I was not lollygagging and or dilly-dallying. I was just driving. I got to the store. My boss was upset. Where have you been? Tried to call you, that kind of thing. I was just like, I was driving. I'm sorry, you know. And, And the worst part about it was that I had, I looked at my... Cell phone and saw the time, and I, I just was completely dumbfounded. I had no idea. Nothing like that had ever happened to me before. A lot of paranormal stuff has happened to me um, UFOs, Sasquatch, ghosts, whatever you want to say, cryptids, everything. But I've never lost time. Not, I mean, not without my knowledge. I mean, you know, we all lose time, we all lose track of the time, but that was just crazy. So later on that day, we were at lunch, you know, just kind of hanging out. And one of the other teammates of mine, he said, Hey, he goes, I know that you're a huge history buff. You know, you want to go over to the monument. He was like, I'll go over with you. Cause it's kind of isolated. He's like, I'll go over with you. You know, cause he had grown up there. I was like, yeah, that'd be phenomenal. You know, we had to stay in Bennington for several days to finish the build out and get the store stocked and everything to be open the following Monday. So that night, you know, I went to the hotel, changed, grabbed my camera, and we went to the monument. We never really even actually went to the monument. We were just sitting there and he said, "What happened this morning?" And I said, "Honestly, I don't I don't know." I I I was com- like I said I was completely dumbfounded and I've never had that happen and it scared me. So he said, well, you know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, growing up in this neck of the woods. He goes, I've heard a lot of people talking about these things. They just lose time. Like they think it's 8 o'clock, but really it's 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I don't know where the time went. Couldn't tell you. And he was like, he was like, all right. He goes, well, you know, just be careful. You know, he goes, you know how he is, whatever. We get to talking about work, manager, whatever. Realized it was time to go meet everybody else for dinner. And we left. Fast forward three days later, um, it was a Thursday, and we had been up there since Monday. So it was Thursday at this point, I guess it was the fourth day. And I had the longest drive home. All of them were local, either in Vermont or New York. So I was getting ready, you know, packing up my vehicle, getting ready to go. And uh, my coworker said to me, um, you know, if, if anything weird happens, call me. You know, he was like, just pick up the phone, call me. So I was like, okay, I said, we'll do. I said, don't worry, I'm a big girl. I tie my own shoes, you know, it's all, it's good. I kind of just brushed it off by that point, you know, was weird, a weird occurrence, but not anything super spectacular at that point. I start driving home. Well, at the time I was starting to enter into what ultimately ended up being a divorce. And he called and of course, you know, an argument started. I was very upset obviously. So I pull over to the side of the road, obviously beautiful scenery. It was mid October in Vermont. I mean, it was gorgeous. And, you know, we're arguing and of course I'm crying. And once all that drama was over and everything, I just sat there and in the vehicle and I was crying and, you know, just releasing everything. And I heard not my name, but I heard a very soft, delicate female voice, almost like something you would expect to hear, like, you know, from a fairy or just a very soft, feminine voice. And I heard her say, come here. And I just kind of like, what? I looked around, lifted my head, looked around. I'm like, okay, maybe I was hallucinating or something. I don't know. Took a few sips of my coffee. I'm like, okay, I gotta go. And again, I hear come here, come here. And now at that point, I knew I had heard something or someone speaking to me. So I looked around, I'm, I'm, I'm craning, I'm looking, I'm trying to figure it out. And I was like, okay. And on the right-hand side where I was on the road was just like a small stretch of ground, you know, field. And then there was like a stand of trees and then there was farmland on the left-hand side of the road across the road from where I was was essentially A cornfield, I want to say. It was a cornfield. But it it abutted the woods that led up to Glastonbury Mountain. I was literally at the base of the mountain, just about. I want to say this this was New York Route 22. I want to say that's where it was. And I just sat there. I didn't see anything. Nothing was untoward at that point. I'm like, okay, so I'm, I don't know, either brave, stupid, crazy. I'm not really entirely sure. But I'm definitely not afraid of most of these things. Sasquatch scared me, but at any rate, I digress. I get out of the car, and I hear the voice, and it's calling me from the woods. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. There was no cars in either direction. I couldn't see anything. So I go across the street, and I'm standing there at the edge of this field, and I hear it as if it was in my ear. I literally could almost feel like the breath or the, um, like the where the whisper moved the very fine hair on your ears or, you know, right around your ears, as most girls have. And I just said out, who are you? And I heard a very, like, little girl, like, tinkling kind of laugh, and she said, come here, come to us. That's all I, right now I'm sitting here and I've got goosebumps, and that's all I needed to hear. I was like, nope. I'm out. And I turned around, checked both ways. Although there was still no cars coming. I ran back across the street and I had left my car door open, which is extremely unlike me because I've actually seen a car door get ripped off by a passing car and it freaked me out. So I never leave my car door open. I get back across the street, kind of like, why did I leave my car door open? Check my car because that's another fear of like little animals or something getting in the car and then scaring me to death while I'm driving and don't even don't even ask and I get in the car and I sit there and I'm like I know I heard that now I can't call my now late ex-husband I couldn't call him because we had just been fighting so I thought to myself I'm gonna call my coworker. And to protect his identity, I'm not going to say his name, but he was very much like a a big brother to me. So I ended up calling him and I realized that I was like just bathed in sweat. My face was just sweating. I was scared to death. I wiped my face off with my jacket and looked and I took off down the road. As I'm driving and having my phone dial him, I realized that I hadn't seen any buddy. There was no human at all anywhere in the vicinity, which I thought was kind of strange because it was right around the time where people would be driving home. And there were plenty of farmhouses and things of that nature around this vicinity. So I thought, well, where are all the people? Just didn't even care at that point. I was like, I am out of here. I do not mind telling you that I hauled butt. I was gone. I ended up calling him. He called me back. He's like, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And I explained to him what had happened. He goes, Ronda, drive, get out of there, drive now. And I was like, what's wrong? And he's one of those really like stoic guys. He just doesn't believe in any of this kind of stuff. But in fact, he really does. And he said, there was a little boy that was in the same area as you. He was telling his parents that the mountains were calling to him. It was never said how they, like, did they whisper to him? Was it the same voice? I don't know. But all I knew was that, I don't mind telling you, I broke speed records that day. I got home in absolute record time. My coworker stayed on the phone with me the whole time driving home. And once I got in, I pulled into my driveway you know, I told him I was home. I was safe. everything was good. I had again lost almost an hour of time because I had told my then husband that I would be home by a certain time, and I was over an hour late, and again, I was just driving. so how long was I actually standing on the side of the road? How long was I sitting there waiting, you know listening for this voice? I don't know i don't I don't feel like but that it was only just moments, but in reality it was a lot longer than that and i don't mind telling you that that scared the absolute crap out of me there was a lot of expletives that day i will tell you that and i have not gone back there since i still keep in touch with the co-worker and thankfully nobody else has gone missing because several people have gone missing including the little boy who was being called to by the mountains. I'm using air quotes even though you can't see them. So, yeah, keep up the good work. All right, bye guys.
0: Thank you, Rhonda. That is quite the saga. And there's a lot to unpack here, but I have a few ideas. For starters, the time-loss experience seems to be connected to all of this, which would suggest that Rhonda possibly experienced something on her way up that she simply can't recall. But let's break it down to the meaty portion of this story, the beckoning voice. And that particular segment, it really sounded familiar to me, and a little digging jogged my memory and led me to a specific first-hand encounter in the swamps of southern Massachusetts. But first, let me reintroduce you to my friends, the
7: Buck wedgies. The Pugwaji are a tribe of cunning, evil, and mysterious troll-like creatures who are said to have haunted Native American tribes for hundreds of years. They would steal people's weapons and tools and clothing. Uh, Sometimes they would start fires. And then they really became not just a nuisance, but, but very dangerous. They started kidnapping and killing the Native children and they drove the native people into the forest and then killed them. Despite their small stature, the Pukwaji are menacing creatures. According to legend, they possess the ability to shapeshift, to create spontaneous bursts of fire, and to attack their enemies with a wide variety of poisonous weapons. History has shown that the Pukwudgie doesn't give up. Certainly over time, many people have had minor injuries, but there's also reports of death either by what seems to be an accident and could easily have been Pukwudgie involvement or from suicide that the Pukwudgies seem to have influenced. You have a wide range. Whatever the puckwudgy's
3: in the mood for that day, that's the destruction that he lets loose. That clip is
0: courtesy of Animal Planet's freak encounters. Now that we're reacquainted with these little monsters, there's a particular eyewitness from Massachusetts that claims to have encountered some creature that seems to match the Pukwudgie's description. Now, see if you can spot the part that links all this together, at least for me.
6: Perhaps the most intriguing, yet lesser known, report of a cryptic animal sighting in the Hockamock Swamp occurred in 1990. Former Raynham resident William Russo will never forget his amazing up close and personal encounter.
7: Back in the late 1980s to about the mid 1990s, I was working a three to midnight shift in the town of Rainham where I lived, and that's where my strange happening occurred. When I got off work every night at midnight I'd walk my dog Samantha. She was a Rottweiler shepherd mix, big, around 90 pounds. Now usually we walked on the sidewalks towards the center of town, but in this particular night we walked a different route. I, I don't really know why, but we did. Right behind my house is an area we call the High T's, claimed by the electric company. They run those high tension wires. It's about 50 feet across and overgrown with 100 foot pines. So it's kind of like a route for kids who want to take shortcuts and who knows what kind of wildlife during the day and at night, maybe stranger things. I went perhaps a half a mile when I came to an old water wheel that ran a, an early ironworks back a couple of hundred years ago. And there's a street light at this road and the street light casts a big circle of light right in the middle of the street about a 10-foot radius so as i approached the road all of a sudden sammy my dog started to pull at the leash and i looked down and she was quivering she was shaking she was rattling like an old chevy and then a few moments later i heard what was scaring the dog it was a high-pitched almost a whale and it went like this it went he want you he want you here here he want you now the hairs on my back of my neck started to go up and Sammy of course she was just absolutely in terror and suddenly I saw something walk it was erect Standing straight up, it walked into the middle of that circle of light that was cast by the street lamp. It was about three or four feet tall. It had a pot belly. And as I walked a little closer, I saw that it wasn't clothed. It had hair that was maybe three, four inches long, totally covered in hair. It had eyes that were perhaps a little big for its head, but not hugely disproportionate. The face perhaps looked like the chipmunk. But it was speaking, I mean, it definitely speaking, and it kept saying, I want you, I want you, get more insistent. And it started beckoning me. Here, here, I want you. It wasn't threatening me, but what was weird, it wasn't advancing to me. It didn't come near me. It wanted to get me in its space. This is what I felt like. I wish I could say that I was brave enough to go right up and, you know, get that close from it, but I couldn't. I was scared. And my Sammy, Samantha, was scared, so we turned around and we walked home pretty fast. And I stayed up the whole night analyzing, what could this be, what could this be? And here's what I think it was saying. My best guess is E-want-chu is we want you. We want you, here, here, come here, come here. I think it was speaking English.
0: Now that clip is from an excellent documentary on the Bridgewater Triangle, Massachusetts' version of the Bennington Triangle Rhonda mentioned. The documentary is aptly named the Bridgewater Triangle and can be found on Amazon Prime as I speak. But speaking of the Bennington Triangle, this is where my red strings begin to intersect. Pukwudgie legends persist across New England, and contrary to popular belief, They're not limited to the Huckamuck swamps of southern Massachusetts. In fact, legends of the creature are known in and around the area that makes up the Bennington Triangle. But here's another connection. Vermont's mysterious triangle also has its fair share of odd disappearances. Disappearances so strange that a Pukwudgie
11: abduction suddenly doesn't seem so far-fetched. Between 1945 and 1950, five people mysteriously vanished in the Bennington area. November 12, 1945, 74-year-old mountain guide and hunter Mitty Rivers treks ahead of the group he was leading in the vicinity of Long Trail Road and Route 9 and is never seen again.
3: The woods were searched thoroughly and uh, no, no sign was ever found of him.
11: Rivers was an experienced hunter and outdoorsman and familiar with the local area. December 1st, 1946, an 18-year-old girl named Paula Weldon, who was a sophomore at Bennington College, set out for a hike on Long Trail toward Glastonbury Mountain. She was wearing a red sweater and was last seen by an elderly couple hiking the trail.
3: The woods were thoroughly searched repeatedly.
11: After Paula Weldon disappeared, a massive manhunt was organized, including large cash rewards for information leading to her whereabouts. To this day, people believe it's bad luck to wear red and hike Glastonbury Mountain. Three years later to the day, on December 1, 1949, James Tedford, a resident of the Bennington Soldiers' Home, was returning from a trip to St. Albans, where he mysteriously vanished with his belongings still on the luggage rack of the bus. October 12, 1950. Eight-year-old Paul Jepsen was accompanying his mother when she was feeding some pigs at a local farm. He was told to wait in the pickup truck, but Paul didn't. He was never seen again. Sixteen days after Jepsen disappeared, 53-year-old Frieda Langer also vanished. She and her family were camping near the Somerset Reservoir when she disappeared. The difference between Frida Langer's case is that her remains were discovered by hunters the following spring.
3: Yeah, you know what I think? I mean, if you get out in this territory, this is a huge territory, I think the surprising thing is that the more people haven't disappeared.
0: Now that clip comes to us from New England Public Media. It was pulled from a seven-minute mini-documentary from that area. And I highly recommend clicking both this and the prior link, if any of this interests you at all. Now, of course, I'm not implying that the Pukwudgie, or any monster for that matter, abducted these unfortunate people. But I do think it's important to at least explore the possibility of something supernatural taking place here. After all, it's awfully interesting that the places where odd disappearances occur are the same places that centuries-old legends persist of child-stealing monsters and trolls that lead you to your death. Then again, perhaps these are dangerous places that require legends of monsters keep inquisitive children away regardless thank you ronda for the amazing tale and thank you supporters for being the lifeline that keeps the phone lines open monsters among us beyond is written and produced by me Derek hayes all audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use and the music used in this episode was provided by co.ag music and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Keep it spooky. And until next time.